Hey guys, it's Judy, and we are a week out from San Diego Comic-Con, and we are very excited to be bringing our 10th anniversary panel on Saturday, July 20th at 10 a.m. for 90 minutes, that's 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. in room 5AB, and we have some amazing panelists joining us. We have comics editor Kathleen Wazeski, Marvel writer Nettie Okorafor, Marvel artist Amanda Connor. We have the executive production and development for Marvel Studios, Trin Tran. We have voice actor Vanessa Marshall, the VP of original programming at Marvel TV, Amy Carlson, and the director of operations for Marvel Games, Becca McIntosh. It's going to be an amazing and fabulous panel, so we hopefully see you guys there. And if not, tune in the following week for the audio version here up on the podcast. Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. Hey guys, it's Judy. Hey, it's Sana. Hi, I lost my voice, so I'm going to apologize. But also, we're actually really excited because we have brought Lorraine Singh back to the podcast. Wait, 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 it's me. Bonus. It's me, human woman, Lorraine Singh. Yes, <laughs> human woman. <laughs> um, and we're talking the 2000s today, right? Yeah, that's right. We're celebrating 80 years of Marvel history. We're getting down to the nitty gritty because we're almost at the end of history, which is the present. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is so sad. And the world. Is going is to that end. wait? Is that how history works? I kind of want to use yeah, that. Yeah, the, <laughs> the end of history, history is the present. present. Yeah, just saying, you know. Um, so we're in the 2000s, and so I'm going to talk about some characters that were created then, including Shuri, our pals, the Runaways, and Kate Bishop, um, which I'm really excited about because some of my favorite comics were created in the mid 2000s. Yeah. I have to say, I feel like we're all 2000s babies. Well, I loved everything in the 2000s. I feel like I was just graduating, not college, high school. And <laughs> I you had, keep on trying to de yourself, yeah. and I really enjoyed. No, it was it was. I was gra- I graduated high school in 2000. I was class of 2000. It was a big deal. We thought the world was going to end in 2000, and it didn't. Oh yeah, Y2K. 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 You know, it's really interesting because there are a lot of things that the world was coming out of in the 90s and in the early 2000s. We we of course suffered the tragedy of 9/11. Uh, we also survived Y2K with ATM. Mach- everybody thought the ATM machines were going to break and that we'd all be screwed. <laughs> but somehow it turned out okay. What a time. What a time. What a and time yet, to be alive. And yet we managed to make some great comics. Yes. I I really, I need to go back and look at what was happening around 2004, 2005, because so much good stuff came out then. All three of those characters were created during this time, so mm. get excited. 2004 and 2005 were like the best time for comics for some reason, it's like 1962 to 1963, <laughs> and then like 2004 to 2005. Then there was nothing, and then there was a birth of genius. I'm sorry to the entire Bronze yeah. Age. <laughs> <laughs> but the real 80th anniversary is actually still coming up. It's going to be at the end of August around Jack Kirby's 100th birthday, and there's so much coming up this summer, too. I know. We're going to San Diego Comic-Con, which hopefully we're going to see you guys there. And as a big to-do this year, it is our 10th anniversary of the panel of being at San Diego Comic-Con. And so we are going to throw in a big party. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. I can't believe we've done this for so long. For those who are going to Comic-Con, the panel is on Saturday at 10 a.m.
a.m. And it is in room 5AB. And it's from 10 a.m. to 11.30. We're going to have a full solid 90 minutes with some amazing panelists that we're going to be announcing shortly. And if you guys are also around on Friday, we are doing a fun stage show. We're going to play a game with some fun fans. And that is at 2.30 p.m. Uh, at the Marvel booth. Um, and then just back to the Women of Marvel panel real quick. We have, uh, I know that this is a little bit of a different schedule. Everyone is used to the Women of Marvel panel being on Sundays every year, but wanted to do something special and different on Saturday. So, and I think it will be once we announce all of our guests. So uh, just please adjust your schedule uh, accordingly because um, we would really appreciate you showing up. Yeah, and we really wanted to make sure that we had all the time for all the questions because every year at San Diego, we have such great group of fans that get up to the mic and ask questions and we never have time for all of them. And so we're going to make sure that we do our best to, to have a solid 30 minutes for Q&A. So let's let's talk some 2000s. Let's talk some Backstreet Boys, right? That's what we're going to talk about, yep, right? Yeah, Backstreet Boys. None of them. Only girls. Uh, let's talk about the 2000s from Marvel history. Let's get into it. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about Runaways, Shuri, and Kate Bishop. They're all awesome and they're all very different. So hold on to your butts, people, because we're going to do it. I'm glad that you have a hold of your tookus because we're starting with Runaways. Runaways kicked off in 2003 with Runaways number one, written by Brian K. Vaughn, with art by the totally awesome Adrian Alfona, as well as David Newbold, Brian Rubber, and Paul Tutrone. So the Runaways were a group of very privileged children from Los Angeles who happened to find out that their parents were supervillains. They, of course, one night were hanging out together at their friend's house. They start sneaking around and they reveal a secret passage in which their parents are sacrificing a runaway. What nice parents. Not cool. They're wearing a bunch of red robes and being straight up creeps. And uh, they decide our parents are murderers and we should run away. Uh, Hence the name The Runaways. I particularly love The Runaways because they are mostly a female team. They have a couple of dudes, but their ladies are really, really awesome. And I especially love this team because of its really different and unique members. So there's Molly Hayes. She's only 12 years old, but she is a powerhouse. She's their strongest member. She's their bruiser. For the most part. Then there's Carolina Dean. She is this blonde, perfect model who is dealing with the fact that she is queer and she comes out. And not only does she come out, she comes out also as an alien. She finds out that when she removes this bracelet that her mother had always made her wear, that she has rainbow magic alien powers. Then there is Nico Minoru, who is a Japanese-American goth master of blood magic. Blood magic is literally in her blood. And uh, she's also like a really awesome queer icon within the Marvel Universe. Then there is Old Lace, another lady, except for this lady happens to be a dinosaur. Old Lace is psychically linked with none other than Gertrude Yorks. Um, I love Gertrude Yorks because not only is she very brilliant and outspokenly feminist as a character, she was also uh, a woman of size, and that had not really been depicted in comics. Even up into the 2000s, you're hard-pressed to find a character that is plus size that isn't made into a joke in some way. And this was the first time that she was just a woman who was not a size two. 
And she was super okay with it. And by a woman, I mean she's a teenager. Um, I also love her love interest is a guy named Chase Stein. If you think about it, if they ever get married, she'll become Gertrude Stein, which is Boom, so brilliant to begin with. Uh, and he's a really fun love interest for her because he kind of seems like the kind of guy who should like be with someone like Carolina, like another little model jock, popular kid. And he's obsessed with Gert because she's so brilliant and she's so sassy and he's so into her. And I love that their relationship, she's not like super insecure about it. She's just like, yeah, I'm freaking awesome. Clearly he's into me and he's super into her. And I, I'm just obsessed with it. And then there is also Alex Wilder, who's like a gamer and a genius, and he's a young African-American teenager. Their comics are so awesome because, in particular, I love that they're dealing with the real life, the real world that they are now being thrust into, especially being fairly protected growing up, growing up incredibly wealthy and in places of power in their community. Now they have nothing and they have no one. And not only that, but their kids just trying to live. And there's something really great about it. I think that's especially really prevalent in today where we see how kids are kind of standing up for what they feel about the world and what they want the world to be. And they're literally trying to save the planet. And I think that the runaways embody that spirit in a lot of ways. If you want to keep reading more Runaways, I highly, 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 highly recommend going back and reading the original series by Brian K. Vaughn. It is on Marvel Unlimited, the subscription service that gives you access to 25,000 comics and counting. You can check it out at marvel.com slash unlimited. Or you can check out the new run by Rainbow Rowell and Chris Anka, which I'm obsessed with as well, especially because... I've talked to both of them about it. They were both huge Runaways fans, like myself. They are now writing the series, and it just shows. it. It's like everything you want the future of the Runaways to be, so check it out. Next up, I'm talking about Shuri. Shuri, yes, was a phenomenon before the big, huge hit film came out and everyone fell in love with the portrayal by Letitia Wright. Shout out to her. She's incredible. Uh, but Shuri first appeared way back in Black Panther number 2 of 2005, written by Reginald Hudlin, with art by John Romita Jr., as well as Klaus Janssen and Dean White on inks and colors. So Shuri was first introduced as the kid sister of T'Challa. She is trying desperately to make it to the combat trials to become the king or queen of Wakanda. Uh, essentially, all of the most powerful people fight, literally, to become named the Black Panther. She is trying to make it to the combat trials. Everyone is trying to keep her from these combat trials. It's not exactly a befitting thing for a princess. And she tries to make it there. She gets there just in time to see that her brother has won and is now being crowned the king of Wakanda, and she has missed her opportunity. But everything changes for Shuri when Black Panther gets injured in combat. He is not available to be the Black Panther. And so Shuri says, okay, this is my chance to step up and become the Black Panther for my country. She goes on the full quest. There is a sort of gauntlet of activities that you have to do. So she climbs a mountain, she fights people, she does all this different stuff. And then she finally picks the heart-shaped herb and she eats it. And when she's having her spiritual journey, she meets with Bast, who is the Panther God. And Shuri 
basically goes to past and is like, listen, I deserve to be the Black Panther. I'm in charge. I deserve it. I'm and she's really entitled. And Bass basically says, no, no, thank you. Goodbye. And of course, she's crestfallen. She's put in all of the work. She's done all of the gauntlet that her brother and all of the Black Panthers before her have done. And finally, war comes to Wakanda and she doesn't have a choice. She says, I may not be the actual Black Panther. I may not have been imbued with the powers that Bast has and all of the Panther powers, but I still have to fight. So she goes out and starts to fight for her people. And in that moment, she proves herself because she subjugates herself before her people. She essentially says, I will do anything to care for my people. And in that moment, Bast sees her as worthy and imbues her with the Black Panther's powers. She gets to team up with Storm. And then when T'Challa finally gets better, they both have these powers and he's able to go to the United States and help out the Avengers and help out the world while Shuri can really take care of Wakanda. She's also become the headmistress of Wakanda's school, which is the most technically advanced education you can get in the world. And on top of that, Shuri has had this new journey in more recent years where she has gotten to explore science and magic. And it is honestly just really cool because she is this incredibly unique mixture of science and magic and being a straight up queen. She is so inspiring on a lot of different levels and just a really fun, different, interesting character. In some ways, it's funny because reading her, I feel so much more deeply for her than I do in a lot of Black Panther comics because you see her struggle of just trying to serve her people, just wanting to be important in Wakanda. Uh, And something about that is incredibly touching. I highly recommend going back and reading Black Panther uh, 1 and onward from the 2005 run, uh, especially the art called Female of the Species, as well as the current run of Shuri. If you love the magic, you will love uh, that new Shuri series for sure. And last but certainly not least, it is the best Hawkeye, Kate Bishop. She was introduced in Young Avengers number one in 2005, just after Shuri, just about a month after Shuri, by Alan Heinberg, Jim Chung, John Dell, Justin Ponzer, and Corey Pettit. So Kate Bishop is a really interesting character. She was introduced... And her story is essentially that she was a young woman who was raised incredibly rich, incredibly privileged in a Manhattan sky rise sort of situation. And she got attacked when she was walking through Central Park. And obviously that was a really horrifying and scary thing that happened to her. And so she went into therapy and then she started taking self-defense classes to deal with what she had been through. And from that... When she finally meets up with the Young Avengers, she encounters this team of young heroes that are kind of just getting together for the first time, and they're trying to solve a crime that happened at her sister's wedding. And she's literally in a bridesmaid's dress like, hey, 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 uh, but real talk, can I like hang out with you guys or be a part of this or what? So she essentially ends up teaming up with the Young Avengers. They go back to Avengers Mansion. At this time, the Avengers are disassembled. And she finds Hawkeye's bow at the mansion. And she's like, cool, cool, cool. I can totally just be an archer like Hawkeye. She also finds a Mockingbird's original pointy little mask. And she's like, listen, Clint Barton's busy being Ronin. I'm just going to be Hawkeye for the time being. 
Later, Hawkeye comes back, tries to get his bow back, and they eventually become a sort of mentor situation, which is hilarious to me, though, because Hawkeye, Clint Barton, is so bad at life that it's really like Kate Bishop is teaching him a lot more. He's like, this is how you shoot, and she's like, this is how you become a person. So they're a good good match for each other. Um, I give them a lot of crap, especially Hawkeye a lot of crap. That is Clint Barton. Uh, for being the lesser Hawkeye because Kate Bishop is just a straight-up badass. She later goes on to join up with a new team of Young Avengers, including her BFF, America Chavez. I'm obsessed with their friendship. They are best, best friends, and they are the greatest. They go on road trips and hang out with Kate's dog, Lucky the Pizza Dog. It's the best. But what I really, really love about Kate Bishop is she is this really great mix of dealing with deep trauma and having a great sense of humor. And she really deals with her problems. She has therapy. She talks about how she feels. She leans on the people in her life. And I think that is a beautiful thing to get to see in fiction. It's so easy to see a superhero and just be like, yeah, I crash everybody up and I never feel bad about it and everything's great. And it's kind of nice to see somebody who says, hey, I have a feeling about what I'm going through. And then also sometimes just kicks everybody's butts and is like, I feel really, really great about it. Oh, and you know, not unlike that other Hawkeye, Clint Barton, she's also heading up the West Coast Avengers herself in the new run by Kelly Thompson. I highly recommend it. It's a great little team-up book with Kate at the helm. Uh, And they even run into Jimmy Kimmel. What more could you want? Now taking a step back from all three of these stories, it's very interesting that all of them speak deeply to me, but they're all about (laughs) essentially really privileged children having to deal with growing up and the reality of adulthood. And so there was something, I think, going through time where we were coming out of the 90s, which were a more frivolous time towards the end of the 90s. We were coming out of the Clinton era, which was a very prosperous time for America. And uh, I think we were facing some of the real stuff. So if you want to face some of the real stuff or just have fun watching superheroes, you can uh, read any of these comics and, and do both. All right, that was it. The Runaways, Shuri, Hawkeye, a.k.a. Kate Bishop, that was it. If you enjoyed listening and learning more about Marvel's female superheroes, I have been doing a little spotlight for our ladies based on each decade of Marvel history to celebrate Marvel's 80th anniversary each month right here on the Women of Marvel podcast. So go back and look for those in the Women of Marvel pod list. And of course, if you like female superheroes, you are more than welcome to go check out my book, Marvel Powers of a Girl, written by me, Lorraine Sink, with awesome illustrations by Alice X. Zhang. It is a fun read, and you will learn lots of things about Marvel's female heroes there, too. 